Welcome to Mercy Unbound. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and in today's interview, I talk with Mark Drogan, who was raised Jewish and has described his family as Jewish, atheist, and socialist. In college, he got into heavy drugs, joined a hippie commune, and eventually miraculously found his way to the teachings of Jesus Christ, and later on became a practicing devout Roman Catholic. You won't want to miss this heartwarming podcast available at all the typical podcast stations. And you can also watch the video and other great ones on YouTube at Dr. Brian, B-R-Y-A-N Thatcher, T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R.com. That's drbrianthatcher.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share this one with your friends. Welcome to Mercy Unbound. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and uh, this series aims to provide hope, healing, an avenue for healing, and one that will help you understand and then live the great mercy of God. With me today, I have a guest I think you'll find a fascinating person. He uh, was raised in a Jewish family. They were atheists, socialists. Mark uh, went to college, uh, entered a hippie commune, got involved in not just light drugs, but some heavy drugs, was eventually uh, introduced to the writings of Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, we're going to just talk about his journey a little bit today. And uh, again, audience, thank you for joining us. Mark, you mentioned in your manuscript that is yet to be published, but it'll be a fascinating read. I, I read it over the last week. The tentative title is Atheist Socialist Jew Catholic, subtitle Reflections on the Holy Family, Atheist, Socialist, Jewish Hippie, Finds the Key to Unlocking the Floodgates of Mercy. So I suggest the those watching this show to Google this as time goes on and uh, look for this book. But Mark, you mentioned that your father had told you when you were young that Judaism was not a race, religion, but rather a culture. Uh, I, I see all sides of that and, and wonder what's your take on that now as you're older and. Uh... Yes, well, that's a good question. Um, and I, I'd like to start with my take on that now and kind of tell the story backwards because when I asked my father that question uh, 50, 60 years ago, um, I didn't know what the answer was. And it was obvious that my father didn't really have an answer to that question either. Um, today, after 50 years, 45 years in the Catholic Church, um, the answer is clear to me today that um, Judaism is a religion and, and an identity that's given to us by God. And so uh, Jews are really not able to define it. Uh, I, they say that they do. Jews say that they have a definition of Judaism, but there's no agreement. And so in practice, I think um, the, the 
practical uh, way that we identify Jews is, is a person who self-identifies. That's kind of a new phrase that we have in our culture today, self-identify. And people can self-identify with whatever they want today. But um, I think that that's a valid uh, application today. Uh, a Jew in reality, uh, in today, anybody who wants to self-identify as Jew, as Jewish, does so. And, and they're accepted so that we have Jewish atheists today. We have all kinds of Jews who believe all kinds of things, and they always insist that it doesn't matter what they believe. Uh, that uh, for centuries they've always looked at the biological uh, heritage through the mother, and things like that. But again, um, it, it seems clear to me, especially from reading the Book of Genesis. And the whole Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament, uh, everything that's been revealed by God, by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, tells us that Judaism is something that God has created. God has given to us as an identity uh, to be, to profess, to be, belong to God's people. You know, I've always had a deep love for the Jewish, whatever you call it, when I call it, the <laughs> culture, the race, the religion, because I felt, you know, like you said in your book, you know, Jesus was a Jew, Blessed Mother was Jewish. And um, so let's jump ahead a little bit. You go to college. If I remember, it was in California. Um, and yeah. you're in the drug scene. Uh, you're in the fast lane. And you get introduced to Jesus Christ. And as time goes on, you get more interest in the Catholic faith. And I believe it was Father uh, Kieber. Did I Kleiber. say? Kleiber. He, he baptized you. And then he introduced you to uh, the writings of uh, Rabbi Zali. Share with us a little bit of that walk with Father and then how the rabbi's writings impacted you. Yes. Um... Father Kleiber did not actually baptize me. Uh, I was baptized by a parish priest in Los Angeles. And, but I met Father Kleiber just a few months later. It was 1974. And everything in the Catholic Church was new to me. And um, the fact is, uh, my wife also came into the Catholic Church, and she was from a Jewish family in the Midwest, and she thought that she was the only Jew who ever became a Catholic, because she was from a small town, and she really wasn't aware of any Jews who had ever become Catholics, and so at that point, we were in the Catholic Church, and trying to learn more about it and, and what a Jew is in the Catholic Church, um, we didn't really have a lot of understanding. A lot of it was um, peer pressure. I mean, extreme, pretty much just peer pressure. But 
we, we found out through um they didn't have internet but, <laughs> but uh we got uh, there was a group called the edith stein guild mm. it was a group in new jersey and we contacted them i think through the u.s mail this was 1974 and the edith stein guild gave us the name of father Kleiber who was a Jewish Catholic priest living in Chicago, and he was semi-retired. Uh, he had had heart problems, and so he wasn't doing any active uh, pastoral ministry. So we contacted him, and he actually came to visit us in California, and he told us about other Jews who had become Catholics, and we were amazed because there were a lot of Jews in the 20th century, Jews living that, that Father Kleiber knew. And he introduced us to a woman who was a philosophy professor at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles at a Catholic university. And she was Jewish. And we went to visit her. Uh, Father Kleiber visited us. And then we started reading um, through Father Kleiber's writings. We read about the chief rabbi of Rome during World War II. Now that was a very important position because in World War II, there was no state of Israel. And most of the Jews were either being killed, most of the European Jews and Eastern European and even into Russia, uh, most of the Jews were either being killed or uh, uh, leaving trying to find some place where they could live. And the Jewish community in Rome was the major Jewish community in the world and had been established before Christ. The Jewish community in Rome had roots that went back more than 2,000 years, maybe 2,500 years. And the chief rabbi of Rome during World War II was the most important position in Judaism so that the world was shocked when the chief rabbi of Rome was baptized in the Vatican in February 1945. The war had not even ended yet. And the chief rabbi of Rome was baptized and became a Catholic and professed that he had never left Judaism. They said, why did you, you know, did, did, at this time, the, the Jews all felt like he was a traitor. And there were Jews literally uh, who wanted to kill him. He received death threats. And he had to go into hiding. He lost all of his money. He didn't do it for any material reason. He lived in absolute poverty after that. And... He was hated by the Jews and the Catholics didn't really accept him either because they couldn't understand it. Just like you're asking these questions, it was mysterious. But what, and Father Kleiber had written about this in the United States. He was the one who had reported it in the United States that when they asked uh, Zully why he left Judaism, he said, I did not leave Judaism. I believe that Jesus is the, the promised Messiah of Israel. And he said, I've believed this for many years. For many years, he believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. 
and he remained the chief rabbi of Rome. What changed in 1945, at the end, actually in 1944, late in 1944, at the near the end of the war, Zully said, and this is a quote from him, he said that his conscience required him to confess that Jesus is the Messiah and do that publicly and join the Catholic Church. So he was bound by his conscience and that confession is really, when you look at the, the Hebrew language and the book of Genesis and, and the, it's the, uh, the fourth son of Leah, the fourth son of, of Israel is, is Judah. And Judah is named Judah because the word means to confess, to praise, to give thanks. It means all of that. And that's the word in Hebrew. And so Zully was confessing his Judaism, literally, because Judaism is one who confesses uh, their faith in the God of Israel. Let me ask you this. You here you are Jewish, you get introduced to Jesus Christ. But as you know, there are many, many sects of Christianity. Was it just that you were introduced to Catholicism first, or was it something that was driving you to the church, or you looked at the papacy or the Eucharist, or what was there anything in particular that, or was it just circumstances that brought you to the Catholic faith? Um Yes, that's a, it was a long journey and a slow journey. It wasn't all of a sudden. Um, and it would take a long time to describe all the, that journey. And it was never any certainty. I was always uh, filled with doubts, really. And, and when I finally was baptized in the Catholic Church, it was with fear and trembling, literally. It was a leap of faith and, and an act of trust, an act of trust that I made in 1974 without really realizing what I was doing, although it was an act of faith, an act of trust. And I had a hope that it was the right thing to do. And, and now today, um, that whole journey that whole journey is summed up in, in um, one sentence. But it means a lot to me because it's that whole journey of coming to know Jesus. And, and the baptism was not the end. The baptism was the beginning of my new life in Christ with sanctifying grace uh, in 1974. So today I sum up that whole journey and I say, Jesus, I trust in you. And I didn't even know that in 1974, but that's what I actually did. I said, Jesus, I trust in you. And he's brought me here. You know, the great poem of uh, two roads diverged in the woods and <laughs> took the one less traveled by. I think that's what the Lord calls us, though. To, that's what faith's about. You know, we, we you mentioned in your book, I remember reading that, you know, you considered yourself a doubting Thomas. And, uh, but a lot of times we don't get the answers. <laughs> right. 
then then it wouldn't be faith you know and uh so that right. that must have been very difficult for you well it was because there was no certainty i mean the, the, i knew by faith but that faith was weak when i was baptized i was just a newborn baby with with a weak faith and and by the grace of god i was 28 years old when i was baptized and um i received first holy communion the same day um and one year later i was confirmed and so that gave me a full year after the baptism attending mass and praying the rosary and studying the catechism for that full year to prepare for the sacrament of confirmation and that was a huge step forward i mean i i actually felt more mature more confident when i was confirmed because i was preparing for it for a whole year as an adult i didn't go into it as a 12 year old you know whose parents told him you have to do this right right but there's two things I just would like to mention quickly. Um, before I was baptized, I said it was a long journey, and, and it was, and gradual. But there were two highlights. In um, it was January of 1973. Was Roe v. Wade, and that was I was in the commune at the time, and that pushed us in the commune to uh, take a second look at the Catholic Church because it, when Roe v. Wade came out in January of 73, the commune had the typical uh, anti-Catholic Protestant attitude that there's nothing good in the Catholic Church. And that's the last place that we would ever look for truth. So Roe v. Wade was a huge change. And we said, well, wait a minute, the Catholic Church is against abortion. So maybe they're not all bad. And then that summer in 1973, later in the summer, uh, in the commune, we watched A Man for All Seasons. That's the movie was on television about Thomas More and his um, his heroic resistance to Henry VIII. And when we watched that, that was like, like Roe v. Wade was a big step to open our minds to say, maybe the Catholic Church isn't wrong about everything. And when we watched A Man for All Seasons in the story of Thomas More, that opened the floodgates, really, because then we went back we were only reading the King James Bible because it said in the King James Bible that it was the authorized version. And so we read the King James Bible religiously, thinking it was the authorized version. And we never looked at a Catholic book because it said right in the front of all the Catholic books that they were censored. And we didn't want to read anything that was censored. We wanted the authorized version. So after we saw A Man for All Seasons on television, we went back and, and looked at the King James Bible and started actually started reading Catholic Bibles and Catholic books after that. And by 1974, we were in the Catholic Church by the grace of God. Without really understanding all of these 
things that divine how divine providence was working right right you mentioned i think even in the preface of your manuscript about you know you you mentioned um that you and your wife thought you were the only jews that became catholic but there's there's others there's plenty um as you had said the apostles and the disciples were all jews that converted as well and there's there's plenty of them aren't there yes yes and that's a i think a, a very widespread misconception today and it has been probably for centuries i don't know how long i'm not really a historian but um and and there's a lot of anti-catholics a lot of protestants who say that saint paul really started the church and things like that and um but the fact is i think it's indisputable and i think it's important to to really make it clear the apostles that peter and the 12 apostles in the upper room and saint paul they never thought they were starting a new religion they did not start a new religion they did not and jesus said you are peter and on this rock i will build my church but that did not mean a new religion he said very clearly before he said you are peter and on this rock i will build my church was just which is in the gospel of matthew and that's significant today when we get deeper into scripture and we get to know personally and have this personal uh, knowledge and personal relationship with matthew mark luke and john who are real persons with personalities and distinctions that it's in matthew is significant where it says you are peter and on this rock i will build my church because in matthew and only in matthew is where he says in the sermon on the mount i did not come to destroy the law and the prophets but to fulfill to complete the law and the prophets and so when he says to peter you are peter and on this rock i will build my church he's not starting a new church he's fulfilling the law and the prophets and this is god's the the plan of divine providence to set up a a method an institution a channel i like to call it a channel to administer the divine grace the divine mercy that jesus poured out on calvary and those are literally the the red and white rays in the picture you have behind you that were poured out on calvary but then he set up a and he called it a church but it was just the the um the mechanism the channel to administer these divine graces that he wanted to pour out and in in the book i talk about the different the, there's extraordinary and unique graces clearly god gave extraordinary and unique grace to the blessed virgin mary he didn't give that grace to anybody else he also gave extraordinary and unique grace to saint joseph to be the husband 
of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So it was unique and extraordinary. He gave extraordinary and unique grace to Peter and the apostles and St. Paul. And what he did through Peter and the apostles was he set up this channel for administering these divine graces, the grace and mercy that he poured out on Calvary, to administer that through common, ordinary channels that would be universal for everyone. And those common, ordinary channels that he set up through Peter and the apostles are what we call today the sacraments of the Catholic Church. You know, Mark, when we look at the Eucharist, I always was fascinated that Jesus comes into Jerusalem during Passover. And if I correct me if I'm wrong, but the Jews celebrated Passover and ate uh, an unblemished lamb. And Jesus at the Last Supper. Yes. You know, and during Mass, we say, Behold the Lamb of God. And uh, the correlation yes. there between Passover and the Last Supper and Jesus in the Eucharist. And uh, that's one thought I had. And then the other is, you know, it, it's got to be kind of a, exciting or fulfilling in a way to think that Jesus was a Jew. Blessed Mother was a Jew. And you're Jewish as well. And uh, you're just continuing. Like you said, it's not separate religions it's the continuation of of your messianic jew so to speak and uh that's got to be uh kind of a neat feeling that i don't have as a you know non-jew so to speak well but you do have it in holy communion and that's the mystery the mystery of the church of this holy communion and, and the, the mystical body that we're members of the mystical body and so everyone shares that and and you know if you read the what we call the new testament it begins with matthew and when uh, matthew's describing the infancy narrative of course he starts with the genealogy which is very important and we don't have time to get into that today but then he has the infancy narrative, and then he goes into Jesus's public ministry, and immediately, the Matthew begins the public ministry after he calls uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. He begins the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, "I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it." And that's the Sermon on the Mount, where we get the Our Father, where we get the Beatitudes. All of that is so important, and he's fulfilling all that through what we call the church. And, and it's interesting. I've tried to research some of these words. I like to just pick one word and research it. The word church is not really a Hebrew word at all. It's a new word, see, that comes through the Greek and the Latin. In Hebrew, they have um, the assembly. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church actually says, and I think it's, it's in the book, I have a quote from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It, I think it's the beginning of the last chapter of the book where the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about um, the Jewish idea 
of assembly. And the Greek word for that was ecclesia. So then the, the apostles took that idea of the assembly and the catechism of the Catholic Church says that they believed, the apostles believed, and this is our apostolic tradition, that they were the assembly of the people of God, literally. And then we, so we get confused because we use this word church, which it takes on, especially in the last 500 years. A lot of things have been confused for the, in the last 500 years because there's a lot of wrong ideas out there. And so people have been arguing about what is the church. But it's pretty clear in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's gospel. You know, was there ever a point, maybe not because that's faith, but was there ever a point where you felt deep, deep in your heart, like it's not faith now, it's I know I made the right decision and something, something happened or some insp inspiration from the Holy Spirit that says, thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes. And I can't pick one moment. I'm actually very slow. But in the sense that I really meditate on things, I really chew things, I, I contemplate them, I do meditate on them for a long time. But I did after maybe 20 years, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 years, I was able to say, I know by faith. But I could say, I know. And I did have an experience in church one day where uh, it was just a daily mass, Novus Ordo, nothing special a weekday mass and uh, the priest did the, uh, the elevation and I looked up and I started trembling, shaking. And, and it was not a pleasant experience. I was actually terrified. And I looked up and I thought, that's really God. That's really God. And it was because there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. But I felt like Yes, I, I had reached, this was 30, 35 years after I was baptized. I felt like, I know that's God. I know that's God. And it's, it's very, very frustrating and, and disturbing that so many Catholics who go to Mass do not really have that deep, solid conviction. You know, as Eucharistic apostles here, you can see on my shirt, the host with the uh, rays coming forth from the Eucharistic host. Uh, Faustina actually had that vision of the rays coming from the monstrance on several occasions. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's true. It's the same Jesus in the Eucharist as is in the image behind me. And uh, that's a that's such a blessing uh to have the gift of faith and, and know in your heart that that is the Jesus's present body, blood, soul, and divinity. Um, yes, yes, it's a gift. It's a gift, and and it's and see, I I'm human, and I have moods. I have ups and downs, and and so 
people misunderstand me when I say I'm still an atheist. But what I mean is I still question and I still have to think it through and, and ask myself, is there really a God? Do I really believe in God? And, and now every day I answer, yes, I really do believe that. I really do believe that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of, of the second person of the divine trinity of our Messiah. Another thing that I'm starting to really be um, convinced through faith is that there's only one God and there's only one divine revelation. And that divine revelation, God speaks to us where we're at in different times, in different places. And so, and I have a devotion to the divine mercy. I started in the late 1980s. I was introduced to the divine mercy uh, before it was very well known. And John Paul II hadn't really talked about it that much in the mid to late 80s. And I had a devotion to the divine mercy and was familiar with the whole story. But I also had a devotion to Fatima and Our Lady of Guadalupe and Lourdes and uh, St. Bernadette and the uh, uh, Maximilian Colby who spent most of his adult life meditating on the Immaculata and the, the Immaculate Conception. And what I'm seeing now seems clear to me that it's all one message. Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Lourdes, the miraculous medal, St. Catherine Labore, um, the Immaculate Conception, Our Lady of Fatima, and the Divine Mercy message is all one message. Is God's telling us the same thing over and over about his divine mercy that he gives us his own mother to be our mother. I mean, the message of Our Lady of Guadalupe is a message of divine mercy. She says, am I not your mother? Right? So it's, a, it's one message. And, and when you bring those all together, and then you see that there's also uh, been apparitions in the United States they call Our Lady of America or Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. And these messages have been investigated by bishops and they, uh, uh, more than once in their most recent, uh, just a few months ago, they said that they had done another investigation, I think four bishops because the messages had been in four different dioceses in the mid in Ohio and Indiana. But it's the same message as the Divine Mercy and Our Lady of Fatima. And the bishops said that they didn't see any evidence of supernatural events in, in the messages, but that they didn't see anything contrary to the faith and that the faithful were well uh, could would do well to follow these devotions and the devotion here's what's important the devotion makes uh, it draws a lot more attention to saint joseph see saint joseph is what i the uh, holy spirit wants saint joseph to become known to today and the people who promote the divine mercy uh, the marians of the immaculate conception uh, they have the book by Father Calloway on uh, the consecration of St. Joseph. And Father Calloway says, this is not me, 
And it's not Father Calloway either. He says the Holy Spirit wants Joseph to become known today. And that's part of the divine mercy is to know Jesus, to have deeper, more personal relationship with Jesus. It means that we get closer not only to Jesus, but to his mother and to his human father, St. Joseph. And that's all part of God's plan of divine mercy to not only give us Jesus in the Eucharist and the sacraments of the Catholic Church, but to give Jesus gives us his mother and his human father, St. Joseph, to be our spiritual director. And that's in Calloway's book. I'm just quoting from right. Calloway's book. And that's all part of divine mercy that he gives us these helps because the battle over marriage and family today is greater than at any time probably in the history of the world and so god is giving us more graces with the divine mercy god is giving us the holy family the the answer is all right in front of us um jesus told saint faustina mankind will not have peace until it turns with trust or confidence would be another translation trust in my mercy he's the answer you found it belief now in the uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. And uh, Mark, I want to thank you today for joining us uh, on Mercy and Bound. We're going to have you back. And in the next show, I'd like to discuss with you the story of the prodigal son and look at it scripturally. And um, to me, it's a beautiful story of how we're called to live uh, our lives. And forgiveness is such a key element because it's such a stumbling block that I see everywhere I go for people spiritually and yes uh, and it's a it's a primary story and uh, the title i like um this parable of the prodigal son is not really a very accurate description i like the uh the parable of the father's boundless mercy and we're going to get more into that as we unravel that whole story because to me it's uh, fascinating but um we wish you luck with the manuscript uh, we're looking forward to getting you back. We're going to talk about the uh, story and the element of forgiveness and God's mercy. And uh, again, I want to thank you. Uh, people know that you can uh, find us on podcasts uh, at all the standard platforms. You can find us on YouTube and uh, at dr. Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Thatcher, T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R.com. And thank you again for joining us today on Mercy Unbound. God bless. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash drbryan, B-R-Y-A-N, Thatcher, T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R, and on all the major podcast forums. I would love to speak at your church or conference, and please consider supporting our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world. Thank you again. And for more information, go to the website at drbryanthatcher.com.